God, as we dig into your word, as we look at Isaiah, I'm just reminded of this theme that we learn in chapter 9, where you declare, unto us a child is born, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God, you came to save us. And God, today on this Advent, first Sunday, of Advent, God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak. I pray, God, even right now as we reflect on waiting and as we reflect on expectation, God, I pray that in only the ways that you can, Spirit of God, you just take over this moment, God, that I submit to you. Have your way, Spirit of God. Fall afresh on this place May your fire from heaven come down and speak into us. Lord, reorient our lives around you. Help us to go from a me-centered people to a he-centered people. Have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are starting our first Sunday of Advent. I love Advent every year. We typically get around this really nostalgic moment for me where we light the candles. It reminds me of my childhood and my family getting around a table and lighting the candles every week and talking about all these different themes of Advent. Advent is a word that means the arrival or the anticipation and the waiting for the arrival. It's, it's close to expecting a baby. This idea of, of the, the pain of labor, the pain of, 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 of having a baby, but then looking forward to the arrival, to the coming. And so today, as we think about Advent, as we step into this Christmas season, you may be like me, and you may be struggling with expectation today. I've been thinking about this all week. In my home, I try my hardest to have a very strong, firm rule that Christmas music, Hallmark movies, Christmas decorations, they have to wait until Black Friday, until the day after Thanksgiving. And we have been wavering a little bit in the Beardsley house. <laughs> Friday comes along, and my son Nolan, who loves, he calls him Michael Bubbles, his name is Michael Buble, but I, I don't have the heart to correct him. Uh, we're singing the songs. We're listening. Brianna's got the girls watching the Hallmark movies, and, and the boys are, are actually enjoying them too, but they don't want to confess that. And, and we're trying to get into this Christmas mood, and I'm thinking about this sermon and thinking about this idea of Advent and expectation, and I want to confess to you, I'm not feeling it right now. I don't know why. I tend to be pretty emotional and feel things, but I'm not feeling it right now, and as I've been thinking about this, I felt the Lord tell me that today we need to talk about the idea for those moments when you're not feeling the expectation, how to have a recalibration or a reorientation. What can we do to truly embrace Advent? So today I want to talk about this expectation reorientation. 
Maybe you're like me and you've had moments where you feel a little disoriented. Maybe as you think about the coming of our Lord, maybe it's, it, it, there's some angst in you, some struggle in you, some concern or some fear in you, or some doubt in you. It reminds me, as a child, I remember if you ever, mom ever said these words, me and my brother Seth were getting a little out of hand, and my mom said, You're, you need to go to your room and you need to wait till your dad gets home. Anyone ever have that happen? Now in my home, this meant you're getting a spanking. That's what that meant. It meant you were getting a whooping that day when dad came home. And I remember typically when dad came home, that was something that we were so excited for, so anxious for, because dad comes home and we get to play and we get to have dinner together and we get to share our days. But this time, my expectation was very disoriented. I remember sitting in my room with my brother and thinking, what are we going to do? And I had this great idea. Hey, what if we put every pair of underwear on that we own? Because, you know, spankings don't hurt that bad when you got 25 pairs of underwear. So sure enough, we put the underwear on, we got can barely get our pants on, we're practicing on each other, right? And we're getting kind of, and now we're building this expectation for when dad comes home. But it's a different kind of expectation, and it seems to me as we're thinking about expectations, we're thinking about the coming of the Lord, the return of Christ, as we're reading in Isaiah chapter 40, we're in this moment where the people of God have a very similar understanding and a very similar feeling of God has said he's going to come. And it's kind of one of those wait till your dad comes home moments. Because you see, in Isaiah chapter 40, this is a moment in the book of Isaiah, you're probably wondering, why did we skip 39 chapters of Isaiah and start right in chapter 40? The book of Isaiah was written to the people of God in exile. The first 37, 39 chapters are, are, are written by Isaiah in his time during the kings. During the reign of Hezekiah and Ahaz and, and uh, Manasseh. And scholars believe, especially if you go and you read in, in Isaiah chapter 8, that 39 on was this prophetic word that Isaiah wrote, or the followers of Isaiah wrote hearing from Isaiah to the people as they are in exile in Babylon. They are no longer in Jerusalem. They have been carried off by the Babylonians punished by the Lord for their disobedience and their sin, and, they, and, they're, and they're in exile. They're in darkness. They're wondering if the Lord has totally abandoned them. And they have this prophecy from the great prophet Isaiah that they're reading in exile. And there's this question of expectation. Is the Lord through with us? When the Lord's coming home, what's he going to do with us? And we see this moment of Isaiah prophesying to the people of God, and I believe also prophesying to us for moments when we feel this disorientation. Where we know we should have these emotions of expectation and longing and excitement, but in us there's, there's some other sorts of feelings of dread, of gloom, of doubt. 
And here in chapter 40, Isaiah is writing to the people, and it's a, it's a letter, it's a word of hope to a people who are in very serious discouragement and darkness. And as we think about this, as I've been wondering, Lord, how can I have this reorientation of my expectations? I believe there's three things that the Lord is telling the people of God and telling you and me for those moments when you just feel a little disoriented. Maybe those moments when you're just not feeling the expectation of Christmas. And the first thing is, I believe the Lord wants you to pay attention to your theology. To think about what you're thinking about. The word theology is a fancy word that just basically means the study of God. As you think about your expectation, your thoughts about God in this moment that we're in today, and maybe you feel a little disoriented. Maybe you feel a little far from God. Maybe you feel that there's some loss or some pain. Is to truly remind yourself of your confession and what you believe about God. We see this happen in, here in this chapter. Verses 27 through 29, we hear Isaiah addressing some bad theology and correcting it. Verse 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Israel is in exile. They're wondering if God even remembers them, and they're developing this theology that God is so far away, he's so unattentive to their issues, they have this complaint. And we read this, and, I, and I, I really believe many of us feel this. We feel this in this disorientation. God is so far away or so unattentive. Why, why is he not responding to me? Where is he? And Isaiah, inspired by the, by the Lord, gives us this word. He says, have you not known have you not heard? To me, this is like his, his saying to the people, pay, pay attention, you're missing this. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God. That's a statement of theology. It's a saying that God has existed in all time. He is eternal. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's not just eternal, he's transcendent. Do you believe this? Check your theology. God is omnipotent omnipresent, he's omniscient. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And he, God, gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Pay attention to your theology. Alec Mortier, a commentator, says this about this moment as we feel disoriented at times or struggle with the expectation. He says this. He says, the wrong inference from God's transcendence is that he is too great to care. The right one is that he is too great to fail. 
As the people of God are thinking about their sin and the way that they have wandered from the Lord, as they're thinking about how, how they were the people of God, God had made all of these covenant promises to them, and they broke the covenant, they could be easily fall into the God has rejected us. But the beauty of being a covenantal people is that God doesn't break his covenant. And God is still saying that he is going to save and redeem his people. And we have this hope in chapter 40 here, this reminder of who God is all the way back in Genesis. And so we see this reminder to you and me to remember who God is. It can be so easy to lose this in our expectation. It can be so easy to lose this expectation and replace it with dread. I felt this just this just yesterday, uh, my, our family, we've been watching the World Cup. Any World Cup fans here? Okay, one of you, great. Oh, hey, Tony, too. I was hoping, Tony. We were watching Argentina play and the great Messi play, one of the greatest soccer players of all time. And I remember watching the game and I started feeling this dread, like I want to see him do well. He's such a great player. And if they lose, they're probably going to be eliminated, and I'm starting to feel this dread, and I'm starting to feel like, oh my goodness, this is such a letdown. Oh my goodness. I, I, was, ex I was excited to watch it, and it felt different, and then all of a sudden, Messi pulls this incredible shot. He has like one step, and with his left foot, he just does a low little shot all the way to the corner and scores this goal, and it erupts, and the expectation, and the, oh yeah, that's who Messi is. And I think sometimes when, when our orientation is messed up, when, our, when we're struggling with expectations, we need to remind ourselves who God is. We need to remember who our God is. We need to remember what, how he's been faithful in the past. We need to remember the stories of what he's done in our lives. And if you're struggling with that expectation, you need to just have a little, have a little reality check on who you believe God is. And perhaps that means talking to other people and reminding ourselves together that we are a people of King Jesus. And so the first thing that Isaiah is correcting in you and me in these moments of expectation is to check our theology. Does our theology match our practice? Do I really believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control? And as you do this, there's this next step which is so contrary to the ways that we live, and that's this, keep waiting for the Lord's renewal. This is the action part. And it's so fascinating to me. As I think about the Lord could have said so much here, he could have said try harder. He could have said, work harder. He could have said, do more. But actually, he says, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. As the Lord is talking to a tired, worn out, exhausted following, in exile. He just says, trust me. And this word for wait, it's not 
lay on the couch and do nothing, be lazy, wait. Actually, the tense is this ongoing, active waiting. It's like waiting, expecting God to show up, but waiting for him to show up. Waiting for him to move, waiting for him to open the door, waiting for him to reveal to you what is next and trusting that he will do so. And as you're waiting and as you're trusting, resting in your theology. It's just waiting. And our society pushes at this so hard. We have such a hard time. Even Christmas, it can be so consumeristic. It can be so about like FOMO. I don't want to miss out on these moments for Christmas. I don't want to miss out on, on this or, or that. Or I need to make sure I get everybody everything they want. And before we know it, Christmas is here. And we haven't done any sort of actually waiting and enjoying the presence of God. There's this great book by a guy named John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. In this book, he talks about how one of his mentors, a guy named John Ortberg, had, had this interaction with his mentor, a guy named Dallas Willard, a, a great writer and thinker and theologian in spiritual formation, and he called him up and he said, hey, what is the biggest challenge? What, as for me, a young pastor at this big budding mega church, what is the one thing that I need to be working on, that I need to be battling? And he was expecting, you know, this big microphone drop. He was expecting, you know, uh, something about society and culture and, 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 and being post-Christian or politics. Or, and, and Dallas Willard said this, what you need to be focused on is the ruthless elimination of hurry. That one of the biggest Battles in today is hurry and busyness. Think about it. When someone talks to you and says, hey, how are you doing? Isn't our response typically, I'm busy? Or I like to say, my life is very full. That's just a fancy way of saying, I'm busy. In this book, John Mark Comer quotes Corey Temboom. He says, Corey Temboom once said, that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the same exact effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your soul. That there's one thing I think that we need to get today is that we need to be a people who are waiting on the Lord and who have space and margin in our life this Advent season to truly enjoy him. To truly enjoy our relationships, to truly enjoy what it means to, to be a people who wait on the Lord. Who believe that his presence is what's going to renew us who believe that the relationships around us, that when we get so overwhelmed with busyness and hurry, that we miss the incarnational beauty of presence. This is what Christmas is, right? This is, Christmas is about the birth of the Savior who left heaven to be with us. 
So I challenge you, church, check your theology and keep waiting. You know, for Brown and I, we've talked about this. One of the practices that we're doing is we're just going to make it a point for the next five weeks, four weeks up to Christmas Eve, we're going to try our hardest to have a time as a family to light the Advent candle, to do the reading, and to spend time together with our Lord. To say no to Netflix, the World Cup game, sometimes. I'm not missing Tuesday. But to be honest, I, I, to really have this intentionality in our hearts, not to miss the the. the Advent is like a, a pushback against Christmas consumerism. It's a practice that the church has been having for hundreds of years to say we are a people of the king. Let us wait on him. Let us build expectation in, together for him. But what I love in this passage, one of the commentators said, is there's also something here that's really fascinating as Isaiah's writing to the people, he says, those who wait, this is his action, wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. And then he makes a statement. He says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. He says something for the people that wait on the Lord, something in them changes. And actually, it's, it's, it's not even human. He says, you'll become like eagles seems to me this is like a small echo of the gospel here. That there's something here that Isaiah is telling you and telling me and telling these people that when we wait on the Lord, Christ comes. He will come. We know as we read this that thousands of years later, the Savior would come. And that he would change everything. And that we are a people who don't just pay attention to our theology and keep waiting on the Lord's renewal. We are a people who embrace grace with hope. Who embrace grace with hope. And this is the transforming part of what it means to be the people of God. Notice here in chapter 40, we couldn't read the whole thing, but the first two words in chapter 40, they hit me like a ton of bricks. God is speaking to the people, and what does he say? He says, Comfort, comfort. He's speaking to a worn out, tired people. He's speaking to a mom who's just so worn out, to a stressed out dad who's wondering about how he's gonna provide. He's speaking to this anxious, anxious teenager, to a, a, a fearful child, and he's saying to them, comfort, comfort, I am the God of comfort. And you can see grace in here. He's talking to a people in exile. He says, speak tender. He says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. And her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the hand double for all her sins. God is a God of grace. Embrace grace with hope. I was thinking about reorienting my life around expectation, 
I just felt like this is such an important thing for us to remember. Grace. I was reminded of the moment when my dad came home and I had 25 pairs of underwear on. And my dad sits us down and he tells us, boys, today we're going to talk about grace. And even though you deserve a spanking, you're not going to get one today. To be honest, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> but I never forgot thinking I, I deserve this and then my father giving me something else. And I think one of the challenges, one of the problems that humanity has with expectation is we're still sinners in need of grace. And in this Christmas season, the enemy wants us to be a people who live in shame. Who think, before I go to the Father, I need to put all this underwear on to make sure that, that it doesn't hurt that bad. A horrible metaphor. I won't use that in the second service. But, we, but, but, but we're thinking, I, I, need to, I need to earn this. I need, to, I need to do these things to truly embrace the expectation. And we forget that we are a people who are about grace alone. We are a people who sing and celebrate the unreasonable grace of our God who, who is in the very person of Jesus. And even in this season, as we, as we long for Christmas and we join Mary, Pregnant Mary, who has the very Son of God inside her, the very redemption of humanity living inside her in the form of a baby, and we sing the songs and we say, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, what child is this? We do so because of grace. And I exhort you, church, as you maybe today struggle with feeling the expectation. Would you just let the grace of our Lord fix that for you? Would you just pray to God, God, this Christmas season, I, I, I just, I receive your grace. I receive your gift. And let him do that work. Receive his grace. And live in that. This is my prayer. I'm preaching to myself. I said, I'm not feeling it right now, but I'm believing it. I'm believing that our faith is real. I'm believing that my theology about who God is, about how great and mighty and benevolent and gracious he is and compassionate he is, that he is my good father, that he loves me, that he sent his son to die for me. I'm believing this to be true, and I'm receiving it, and I'm thinking through it. Celebrating it, and I'm singing it. And I challenge you, church, don't miss it. Don't miss the invitation of Advent to slow down, to say no to the hustle. I love the devotional. Said this, I want to read this to you. Are we participating in relationships and events that deal in hope, or do they steal our hope? Let us come to the Lord this Advent season and deal in hope. Let us ruthlessly eliminate the culture of me 
and completely surrender to the power of He. In His light this Advent season, what is your heart longing for? Seems to me that the way that we reorient our life is we recognize that Advent is not with me at the center of the universe. That Advent is not even about my own experience, it's about the incredible glory of our Lord. And it's about, oh come let us adore him. Would you make sure that you have space this Advent season to adore your Savior, to receive his grace? Pray. God, thank you for this truth. Lord, as we reflect on this together, as, as we step into Advent season, God, I pray that you would build this expectation in the hearts of this beloved people. God, that in this Christmas season, God, we are so grateful for this invitation to expectation and hope. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into it. I pray in the same way that you showed up thousands of years ago through Isaiah and spoke to these exiles who were in Babylon, that you would do your work and speak into each of us today. That we would adore you and that we would receive your grace. And we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.